Well, hello and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. It's episode 171. And today's special guest hails from Dallas, Texas. Her name is Hesha Abrams, and she is an internationally renowned mediator, which she actually is a lawyer, but she, instead of working in the court system, works in the mediation system, which I think, and I think we can probably all agree is more effective if everybody can agree to go through mediation rather than through the court system. Anyway, she's been awarded multiple times as a top-rated lawyer. She has a AV rating, which is a big deal in her industry. Uh, she has spoken at the Hague International Symposium on Negotiation and Conflict Resolution, and she talks to audiences all over the world, so we're very lucky to get on her agenda. She has a book called Holding the Calm, The Secret to uh, Resolving Conflict and Diffusing Tension, and I know that those of you listening, my dear people, my very good-looking, highly conscientious, high-performers, high it's not that we're dealing with kidnappings or terrorist negotiations. It's I, I, What I want to find out from Hesha today is about how to control our own emotions, like not wanting to cry or slap somebody for being an idiot, lowering the stress, and uh, you know, just finding out how to better read that audience, I think would be very valuable. I want to remind you all that today's episode is brought to you by the Practical Guide to Effective Communication. I hope you have your own copy. It would make a great Christmas gift to anyone, especially on the introvert side, who wants to be a better communicator. I It really goes into the mindset. I talk a lot about thinking differently about how you communicate with others. There are chapters on meetings, presentations, emotional aspect of communication, building your network, how to prepare for a difficult conversation. It's really like 10 books in one, each book being really the cliff notes to that topic. So I hope you will get your own copy of the Practical Guide to Effective Communication so that you can get recognized for the value you already contribute. And of course, the book is written by yours truly, Laura Camacho. So let's welcome Hesha Abrams to our show. So, Hesha, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. And are you by the ch any chance you're not wearing cowboy boots, are you? Because you are no. in Texas. <laughs> no, I'm actually I li I live on airplanes is where I live. Oh, okay. Home in Texas, home in Florida, mm -hmm. and I'm on a plane every week. So, really, American <laughs> Airlines is my home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know, but you well, know, I got to go where the work is. Yes. Well, hopefully since you're a super duper uh, frequent flyer, they treat you very well. So why did you get into this racket of mediation and why did you become a lawyer in the first place? Like, what was that spark? Tell us, take us back on a little bit on that journey. Well, you know, I was, uh, you know, raised by very chauvinistic, misogynistic family. And so oh. I was smart and I talked a lot. So therefore, oh, you argue all the time, you should be a lawyer. And, but a sense of justice was very important to me. It was very important to me. Brown versus Board of Education came out when I was young and I remember being fascinated by it. And the idea that you could use weapons of words and arguments instead of bombs and bullets just sounded marvelous to me. 
And then I became a lawyer. I mean, I was one of those eager beaver, crazy people that I did high school in three years, college in three years, law school in two and a half. I was just charging to get out into the world. And I was a good trial lawyer. And then within one week, I won a case I should have lost because it wasn't right. I just outlawed the other side. And I lost a case I should have won because uh, the other lawyer was friends with the judge. And it caused a crisis of confidence for me saying, this cannot be the way it is. This cannot be. And back in the day, I've been doing this 35 years. Mediation was like a touchy feely thing or used for labor unions. And I found out about it and I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. You talk to people for a living, <laughs> solve problems and resolve conflict. This sounds fantastic. And I literally have devoted my life to it. Um, I spend, I've, I've probably given 10,000 speeches. I've done tons of, you know, Yahoo, Google, Amazon, Facebook, big pharmaceutical, big stuff. And I've done small community things. I've done things with introverts, with extroverts, with big personalities, with sociopath, crazy people, with, you know, self-righteous, arrogant people, with people in fear, you know, everything across the board. And I've learned how you stop conflict, which is one of the reasons I titled my book, The Secret to Resolving Conflict and Diffusing Tension, because all conflict, every single one starts with tension. And yes. is we don't deal with the tension because we don't know how or we're afraid. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the analogy I like to give your listeners is spaghetti sauce. You drop it on the counter, you wipe it up with a sponge. You wait overnight, you're scraping it off with a spatula. You wait three or four months and it is old and moldy and nasty. That my friends is conflict. But if we're afraid or we don't have tools or we don't know how to do it, we kind of just wish, hope, and a prayer it's going to go away or it's going to get better. So that's why I literally wrote this book because I have been in the trenches three decades. I know it works. It's not a book on theory or philosophy or ideas. It's what can you do today? Yeah, that's what we want. This, we're all about tools. And I, as I mentioned, you know, this audience, these people that you are talking to right now are exceptionally attractive to begin with. Exceptionally attractive. <laughs> uh, and highly conscientious, high performers, right? Because who listens to a podcast about communicating better? Only the people that really uh, want to, maybe they, they feel overlooked or their team is, the value is not being appreciated or, or they're just getting more work and they're getting overloaded. And we don't like conflict. We want to avoid it. Uh, we are afraid of saying the wrong thing, of hurting people's feelings. And, and so that's our spaghetti sauce, you know, sometimes just becomes unmanageable. So right. tell us, um, you know, about your experience with the quieter professionals. So you, you stated that really beautifully, you know, we all know now with teams, we need different people and different perspectives. Your strength is my weakness. My strength is your weakness. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts, blah, 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 blah. We know all that stuff, but how do we do that? And so again, I'm the sort of the analogy queen is that you know, we're like cavemen and cave women eating with our hands. And I want to say, here's a fork, here's a spoon, here's a knife, here's chopsticks. You know, <laughs> there's other ways you can do this. 
And so that's really what I put in the book. And I'd like to be able to give some of them to some of your listeners, because what you and I were talking about before, you know, we got started here is how hard it is for introverts, because we are in such a verbal world. I mean, it is such a verbal, energetic world. And if you can't push your way into a conversation or dominate, it's very hard. And it's, of course, unfair. And it's stupid to your society, yes. to your company, because brilliance happens in the quiet moments, not in the right. loud moments. Right. right. And, and that you always have the same two or three people dominating the meetings. I mean. Exactly. Exactly. So may I give a, an example of two cases that I've actually done on how I handled this? I would love that. So I'm I, taking uh, notes. Uh, I was asked to do it. This was pro bono. There was a small community in Texas that someone in the school district decided that they would teach the Bible as an elective, but they had it taught by a Baptist minister and they made it a big thing about everyone should take the class. Well, it ripped the community apart. You know, parents, organizations, ACLU came in and said, you can't do that. Separation of church and state. You know, there were people on the right side that said we can and we want to do it. And it literally was just ripping and destroying the, the, the oh. community apart. So a lawyer that I knew um, asked me if I would come in and I would help and I would do this pro bono. And I said, absolutely. So I literally went down to, to uh, this small town and I stayed there for a week. And um, interestingly, I, st- I stayed at a little Holiday Inn and I got bed bugs, which was... <laughs> Nasty. That shows my commitment. Yes, it does. Um, And so I had to invent new things. How do you do this for an entire community? And so what I did is there were representatives that were involved, and I had about a hundred people. And so what I did is I got everybody convened in a big ballroom, and then I stood up the front and I created the standard. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Get everyone to have trust and respect in me, so they would believe that I would be a fair referee, and that I would Mm -hmm. listen. Mm And then I said, we're not going to do this orally. We're going to do this Uh, with silence. And everyone looked at me like, huh, what, (laughs) what are you talking about? And I had white flip charts all around the room and I had colored markers and I had written sentence stems on every single flip chart all around the room. And I, then I played, you know, beautiful, pretty music. And I said, no talking. Everyone just walks around the room and you write your ideas Mm-hmm. In answers right. to these sentence stems. And anytime someone started talking, I would go, shh, and I would just keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. And after I let that happen till it sort of got done. And what happened is people would walk in furiously, right. Mm-hmm. And then after about 10 or 15 minutes, I'd sit back and they'd start reading. And they'd oh. pages, what everybody else said, what everyone else did. And you'd see thought and you see like my hand is on my chin now. And mm-hmm. you know, what mm-hmm. would that be? And then I allowed it to go through and then I facilitated it. And then we took the really good ideas that everyone really seemed to like and the commonalities and put them on new flip charts at the front of the room that came the basis of our constitution. We already have a deal here, I would say. We just have to flesh it out. It's sort of right. like of um, Michelangelo who did the beautiful statue of David. Right. He said he didn't carve David. David was in the stone. He just cut away the excess. Exactly. That is so beautiful. I like to do that with my deals because that's how we created a deal. And what happened, I had people coming up to me saying, God bless you. God bless you. I could never make my voice heard. I could never be listened to. And then what happened is that the loud voices that, of course, didn't like it at first, in the end, all went, well, 
that was effective. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because they have lived their whole lives just speaking up quickly and loudly and with force and not saying that that's bad, but I mean, you're, it's just people respond to you differently. It's limited. Uh, Yeah. A number of times in a number of different situations, I had a uh, religious situation where the people in this organization were just at each other's throats. I did it there. You know, it's a, it's a very good technique to use when you want to change the tone and because you can't, the resolving conflict doesn't happen because I'm going to school you. I'm going to educate you. I'm going to give you facts. I'm going to tell you where you're wrong. No, yeah, that's what we want, but it doesn't work. Yeah, it never works. So you have to do differently. And sometimes it's, I got to put the right bait on the hook, Mm -hmm. depending on what I'm fishing for. Um, I have to create a conducive environment and I have to look at people, you know, what do they need? If I've got somebody who's lactose intolerant, why am I shoving ice cream at them? Right. You know, if I've exactly. got somebody who's gluten sensitive, why are we having pizza? Right. It's so easy to adapt all the other things other than just words to create a conducive environment to where now we can discuss something. We can come up with a solution. And I do this. I mean, I'm a live working media. This is what I do. I walk into cases now where Someone says, give me a hundred million dollars. And the other one says, here's a hundred thousand go pound sand. (laughs) And I settle those. How It's not by telling somebody they're wrong. Right. Oh, (laughs) yes. Well, and that's where, I mean, I, as, as I'm sure you would agree that introverts actually bring an, an advantage to the negotiation table or the persuasion table, because we tend to listen better and we can be more strategic, Mm -hmm. but you have to get over that uh, hump of the way I see it in in a typical meeting, the conversation, you know, starts off kind of slow and then it gathers speed and more people get involved. And then it becomes, as the meeting progresses, it becomes increasingly difficult for a quiet person to chime in because everybody's getting accustomed to hearing these same three people just hash out their different parts and probably people are just checking out. But well, also there's a leadership issue there. Yes. Oh my gosh. People yes. get promoted up into leadership positions because of their competence or their you know good relationships. Right. But they don't necessarily know how to run a team. And good leadership is preventing that from happening. And but we don't teach leadership. No, we don't tell people how to do it. It just you just kind of do it. And that's one of the things that I do in this book is these are some simple, easy techniques that you as a leader can do, or even just a colleague that says, you know, I want to hear from you. What would we say about that? How would yeah. that look? You know, from your vantage point. And you change the tone of the conversation because you're aware of who's speaking and who's not and what's happening. And then sometimes I've even coached people to do this. Let's say I'm a leader and I've got a meeting and I've got like just one very difficult guy. I mean, I got actually um, Fast Magazine interviewed me because they had a problem with someone at a meeting acting like that. And they wanted me to know how would you handle it? So oh, they, good. Well, they, tell us, how whole, do you handle the, the, the whole article? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you the brief, but it's all on my webpage, mm-hmm. holdingthecom.com. Okay. It's an article where they describe it. But what you do is you don't confront somebody publicly. You know, you right. always praise in public, criticize in private. Right. So you would go, if you're the leader, you would go to that person and say, 
you start out with something called the sandwich technique, something valid and fluffy and validating and good, then the information, and then you don't make it an open face sandwich. You got to have the bottom bread also because it opens their ears. Mm -hmm. And so I would start with somebody and say, you know, what's really good about you. Moi, ears are open. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I really respect about you. Do you know what I admire about you? Those three sentence stems are your best friends. Do you know what I admire about you? Do you know what I respect about you? Do you know what's good about you? And you choose whichever you think is right mm -hmm. for that person. Then you tell them something. And then you say, and I want to hear the voices of everybody else at the team, because I know you're going to have great ideas. I'd like you to wait to the end. And I'd like to be able to hear from everybody else because that may shape and fashion your opinion. And I value your opinion because you are so smart, capable, competent, you know, whatever you want to say. Now that person is now in on the secret. Is right. They're, you're partnering with that person. No, no, no. This now is. Be quiet and then allow uh, everybody else to talk. Yes. It's, that, it's that little nugget it can save you thousands of dollars in therapy. So yeah. use it. It's so true. No, I deal with this all the time, but you're giving just a very quick and easy tool. You know, yeah, partner with this person. Yes, I really admire. For example, I admire how people are able to uh, verbally process. They're able to speak and sound intelligent and they don't even know what they're saying because they're just figuring it out in the moment, you know, and I, as an internal processor, I want to have my ideas a little bit cooked before I open my mouth, but then to bring them in and to say why that we, that's, I want to hear from other people and free and not, I don't want to hear from you, but let's wait and, you know, let's see what other people say and then chime in. I love yeah. that. That is. Well, I'm married to an engineer. You know, okay. and, um, so I've learned he's an internal processor and I'm an external processor. And it's like a, it's like a Samsung, you know, or an iPhone. It, they're both smartphones. They're oh yeah, absolutely. To process it. And why would I tie one hand behind my back? Right. I'm not wanting to know what the internal processors are thinking unless I slow it down or I create a conducive environment. And what I do in the book is I give you a ton of sentence stems, a ton of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I tell people to do is take a post-it note and write four or five sentence stems on it and stick it by your phone on your desk or put it in a note on your, on your, uh, on your smartphone so that you can have it handy until you just have them memorized. So you know how to do them because in the moment you're a little tense, right? Rest, you're a little worried. Your brain is not going to be thinking on all stuff on all cylinders at that moment. So you can glance down and go, and then you just say some of these sentence stems, you will be amazed at how well it will work. And then, oh, yeah, uh, I know it's, it's, it's great because the way I see it, it's like an on-ramp to saying something important, but you're, and, and sometimes people think it's fear and fear is part of it, but it can also be like, I just don't know how to bring this thing up. And right. that's what you're providing with these sentence sims or sentence starters. But I really see them as the on-ramp to the meat of the conversation. And you're, there are lots of these. And, and I also think like anytime you have a difficult message and you have so many of these in your book questions about, I, I, I have marked it all up uh, with marking, especially the pages that have now, I, now I'm not seeing them, but I, when I was reading it, I marked it all up in pink 
the like what are your favorite questions that you are like multi-purpose because that is well the multi-purpose well what i also have in the book and i wanted to tell people this is stories and if you okay. think about it the bible the torah the bhagavad gita the mormon teachings the quran the buddhist dhammasalas i mean everything teaches in stories yes and why because that our brains work in icons so i can give you information or i can tell you a story you'll remember the story and you'll remember the information. Right. So, but the, the thing is the introvert, we economize and we go straight to the point and it's so hard for us to tell stories. And so I have tools like tell an example, but you master, let, lay it on us. How can we come up with stories? Well, I have them in the book. Take them. I actually okay. <laughs> and these stories are, they're all short because people's attention spans are that of a fruit fly these days. Right. You know, in the olden days, like I think Abraham Lincoln's, you know, speeches used to be like, uh, you know, well, his opponent actually at Gettysburg, his was short, but they right. would talk for an hour because that was yeah. entertainment. So people had the ability to listen auditorily to words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we don't. We literally have the attention of a fruit fly. Yeah. So it has nothing. to be quick and you got to grab them fast. So every single story I put in the book has been battle tested. I've used it in real life situations multiple times, like that spaghetti sauce thing I gave everybody mm -hmm, at the beginning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I use that every time. It works 100% of the time. People will nod and smile and get it. Now I can say to them, now, you know, you need to handle the problem at the beginning and you need to make sure. You <laughs> right. I mean, come on. But I tell you the spaghetti sauce story. I've got a beautiful story in there about mountain rams, about how someone should be the adult or be the grown up in the room. Oh, yes. You know, I've got a story about someone who's over negotiating where I was in Thailand and I heard this American woman ferociously arguing with this poor little Thai lady. And I was watching it fascinated that she just couldn't disengage. So I walked over to her and I whispered in her ear, it's a dollar and she lives in a hut. Right. Relax. And it broke the <laughs> trance, right? So when you're in a negotiation with somebody, you could tell that story. You can just say, I heard a story, you know? Yes. I read, it, I read it in holding the calm. I literally have 20 tools, 20 chapters, one tool per chapter, and a bunch of stories and anecdotes in every chapter that are short. You could tell them in some of them in 15 seconds, some of them in 20 seconds. So they're quick and they make a point to where you can just tell the story as opposed to have to say a whole lot of stuff. Oh, exactly. Which is going to probably go one in one ear and out the other. And, and if you're the boss, it's just like, oh, here comes mom again, or here goes dad again, you know, and just right. tuning out. Whereas the stories and stories are easier to remember. So do you, I, yeah, I remember the, that story of the woman negotiating the poor Thai peasant to death, but is that a case that, as you know, that often feels that way in work too. Like, you know, really, is it that important? Is it is it because the person is has to be right? Is it is or is it just a, just a habit that they get into? Do you know? I mean, I know we're. You, I'm not a shrink. I don't know if you are, but I I read every book I can get my hands on on neuroscience, mm -hmm. and I watch okay. TED talks and Google talks, so I do actually know a lot about this. Mm -hmm. And I have a lab to play in. So again, right. let me give you another analogy. Bananas, 25 cents each. How many would you buy? I don't know. I like bananas. I buy a couple. Bananas, four for a dollar, 35% boost in sales. Now that's, what? Now really? That's stupid, right? But it is absolutely across 
every age, every gender, every socioeconomic group, uh, every ethnicity. It is a human being condition. And you want a 10% boost in sales? Limit two. I'm not gonna <laughs> let that guy get my bananas, even though they're gonna rot in the refrigerator because I only need two, right? That's what happens. And so, uh, and there's also there's a guy named Daniel Kahneman, oh, who yeah. was a psychologist, and he won a Nobel Prize in economics by proving mathematically that some huge percentage, like 85% of people, are not trying to win. They're trying to not lose. Uh, the fear of law. Oh. It's a completely different game when I'm talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to not lose, as opposed to trying to win, completely different levers and buttons that I can push there when I think about it that way. And so now all of a sudden you have options and choices. So a sentence stem in that situation, let's say somebody can't disengage from whatever, mm-hmm. negotiation, an argument, a point of view. What it is, is that there's something triggered in their own brain that they just can't go until they've been validated. And so you have two ways of doing it. One, if you can validate them, it's lovely. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes I think you're a jerk and you're different. Right, 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 right. I'm going to gag before I validate you. (laughs) Okay. So validate, we all know, is the first thing we do. But you can do a lesser form of validation, which is you are very passionate about that. I can see what I see. You are very committed to that position. That seems very important to you. That is a form of validation that all the person is doing is saying, see me. Right. And they're beating their chest and they're getting louder. See me. Okay. I don't agree with you. Right. But I do see you. Yes. That's it. But I validate it. You are so passionate about that. That is so important to you. That is a big issue for you. You're expressing yourself very clearly. I've got a ton of sentence stems Mm -hmm. in the book and little Mm -hmm. stories about how you handle that as well. And it actually works. And now let's do the advanced class here, just in case anyone is in the advanced class. Absolutely. We have super smart people here. If you can add the words, I admire you for, I respect you for. Okay. So let's say someone is saying a position or a negotiation that is just absurd to you, Mm -hmm. absurd, and you can't get through them. So that means you've hit a block wall. Mm -hmm. You know, validation is the WD-40. It's the <laughs> of it. life. It just is. So you literally say, you know, you take a step back and stop and say, I really admire your passion. I really respect how well you've thought this out. I really value that you're so committed to this. You see how easy that is? Yes. Do for the other person. The other person can stop saying, see me, see me, see me. They can go, right. oh, you, you do see me, you do hear me. And then you know what you will find in way more than half the cases, they take a step back. Because they, that they need is strong. Yes. They, they don't need to push it as hard. They can take a step back. And may I give one more story? Please, please do. We uh, love stories. I heard, this, I heard this on NPR's Hidden Brain. Uh, there was a couch company that sold $20,000 couches. So imagine the people that can afford that the <laughs> size, they would pick the fabric, the piping, the arms, you know, this a whole bespoke customized thing that they would do. Um, and people would go through the point of sale online. And then a huge percentage of them didn't complete the sale while well, the company couldn't figure out why that was a real problem for them. 
So there's two ways you can persuade somebody. You can put on the gas in the car or you can mm-hmm. put on the brakes. Right. One or the other. Mm-hmm. So, or you can get out of the car. I guess there's three. I <laughs> <laughs> decide you're going to play a different game. Right. So they do what everybody does is you put more gas on it, more sales, more advertising, more marketing, more pushing. Didn't improve it at all. Finally, somebody said, let's do a little diagnostic. Let's figure out what is going on. So they hired somebody to actually call everybody who had gotten to the point of sale mm-hmm. and hadn't completed and said, why? You know, Do you mind if I ask you what were the barriers you had? The number one answer across every kind of person was, drum roll please, people who didn't know what to do with their old couch. Oh. <gasps> These are people that could afford a $20,000 couch. Whoa. Couch. So now the solution is obvious, right? Right. We buy a new one, we take away the old one. Right. Exactly. And I want to give one more analogy because I want this cemented in for people. When there's a bomb in the town square, the mm-hmm. bomb detector guy waddles out in his Michelin suit, right? He doesn't just start cutting wires. She doesn't just start pushing it around. They look, they diagnose what is the problem. And that is the superpower strength of introverts. And what happens is that our society bruises introverts because we're so aggressive verbally, externally. But if introverts would actually acknowledge and own and take it as a superpower, that diagnostic ability, when I'm a leader, first thing I want, I want introverts on my team. I want watchers. I want diagnosers. I want people to make sure that the extroverts don't step into a, you know, a, a, a trench of alligators. Right. Oh my gosh, everybody. So this was like a, a multi tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of value for you. Oh, this is so good. Yes. The inter exactly. And instead of the problem with so many introverts is that we all, we think that we should try to become extroverts. It just no, doesn't work. No, it, no. It's, like, it's not your superpower. No. You take your can, can you imagine how our society would be like if teachers and schools were trained to find the superpower of every kid? Oh my gosh. To what do we do? We test them to find them wrong. Right. Bad at I want to, I test people to find them what they're good at. And then right. in those positions, what do you, yes. you don't have to be good at everything. You know, my husband is great. He's an engineer. He's great with math. I'm not right. so great with math. Wonderful. Right. I, I see that over to you. I'm right. great at personal stuff and big picture things and strategy. Marvelous. I mean, I go into large corporations all the time and do consulting and training and advanced stuff on this kind of things because mm-hmm. People don't know. And I'm not selling a training program. I'm not in the training business. I'm a real live working mediator. I only wrote this book as sort of my love letter to humanity because I saw just everyone, people need it. You know, I'll be doing a billion dollar giant case. And late in the evening, people will be talking to me about their idiot (laughs) brother-in-law, the boss or their bad coach of their kid at soccer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how do they handle something? Because just because you can do big stuff doesn't mean you can handle like all the little things. And then I know how to handle, you know, how to take apart the bomb, how to right. it and to do that. And that's literally why I wrote this book and why I wrote it in paperback, inexpensive, designed for volume sales to just get the word out. You can make your life more harmonious and less acrimonious. You Absolutely. Make Absolutely. Your 
more harmonious and less acrimonious. And you don't need to take a course and you don't right. need to get a certificate and you don't need to get a PhD and you don't need to take some fancy training. Oh like, my gosh. I just said it easy. Yeah. So many times I'm talking to these high performers and they think, well, maybe I need to get another certificate or another master's. I'm like, no, no stop right now. And uh, yeah, the, these sentence starters or sentence stems are just, they're just like having a screwdriver. Oh. You know, you don't have oh. to use your good dining room knife. Use the screwdriver. And, <laughs> and, and, and this book is full of sentence starters and good questions. And those are, you know, with that, any introvert can get through any uh, circumstance. So I, I want to ask one more question before we go into what is Hesha like uh, outside of work? Uh, are, what is a major misconception that you're constantly having to like educate people on? Like, like we, like we introverts think that our, that we, what we need to do is, you know, speak up more which we actually do need to do but we don't have to change our personalities you know we don't need to become chatterboxes uh and lean into our strengths uh that's a misconception what what is a misconception in the mediation business it's really the same trying to change people you know we do that in our relationships we do that in our work we do that with our kids we don't accept people as they are and you know you are a rose a daffodil or a daisy that is not going to change. Right. But I can help make the fertilize the soil and the sun and the water to make you the best rose, daffodil, or daisy that you are and appreciate that we need roses, daffodils, and daisies. We need all of them. And that's what people don't do because they don't have enough tools. Most people have one thing they can do. And if it doesn't work, well, you're a jerk. Or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, I use that caveman, cavewoman analogy. We're eating with our hands, like right. fork, knife, spoon, chopstick. Like we have tools and they're not hard and they just make you glide through life easier. And people aren't going to say, oh my God, you're a master at blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They're just going to say, you just get things done. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm, just, mm -hmm. people seem to like you. You just seem to move through life a little easier. Just, right. <laughs> handle that. You know, we were just as a funny story. My husband, we've been married six years and uh, I was at my second husband, we were married six years and we were at a, uh, had went out to dinner with some new friends. And one of the women started talking about a political issue pretty aggressively. And of course I was going to say something and he reached under the table and he gripped my thigh and I looked at him and I went, honey, I can handle this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can yeah. handle this conversation. I can have a conversation with differing points of view because it, it's rich. I want oh, to absolutely. Say. You want to hear what I have to say. Although I do want to give your audience one more little Please. that will help yes. their mental health. Let's say you have to deal with someone that is just, just impossible for you. They are mm -hmm. just beyond your capability of handling them and you're just gritting your teeth and, oh God, what am I going to do? This is the number one trick. You look at them. And inside your head, you say, would they pull my kid out of a burning car? <gasps> oh, and if the answer God. to that is yes, which 95% of the time, right. be, you just saw something redemptive in them. Wow. So now maybe I can talk to you because when my amygdala gets triggered, I have a whole little chapter in the book mm -hmm, on the amygdala mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. kind of call it, you know, neuroscience for dummies. Like I make mm -hmm. it easy for all of mm -hmm, us. Mm -hmm. When the amygdala gets triggered, the fight, flight, or freeze response we go into something called a refractory state and it lasts in everybody for 20 minutes. 
Oh, it's that long. I did so, not know that. Giving facts, data, information, arguing is just foolish and right. disrespectful and completely harms everything because nobody can hear a doggone thing you're saying. Now, exactly. That I talked about earlier mm-hmm. and help reduce that because you're you're reducing the toxicity level by throwing a lot of that value. Yes. And 20 minutes isn't that long if you think about it, because normally fights last much longer than that. <laughs> right, right, right. And and that and that addresses the issue that I made a note to myself to make sure I asked you and I didn't is about how not to cry or hot fly off the handle. And I think the story of would this person pull my child out of a burning car? Uh, how can I, you know, throw some validation on this person? You know, to cal- if you focus on ca- maybe calming the person or the situation, that yep. can help you direct your attention away from feeling Correct. like punching them. Correct. And this is the other thing you can do because I'm an amygdala. I mean, you could poke me hard enough and my amygdala will get triggered. Mm-hmm. I'm human too. I just have a pretty long wick. Mm-hmm. I say that that's why I made that the title of my book. I use it a mantra. I'm triggered and I may say, I'm holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. I'm holding Ooh, the calm. That's it good. takes three seconds. And it says to your amygdala, you're not powerless. You've got choices. You've got options. Once you say that, you get out of the death grip of, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Right, right. Anger, crying, running away happens. But literally, all you have to say is, I'm holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. I'm holding the calm. I'm telling you, it will will be a lifesaver for you. Um, It's that. Yes. I've actually started coming up with little one minute videos. So people go to my website, holdingthecalm.com. It's all free. I've got articles, podcasts, all kinds of stuff on there. And I do these little one minute videos that are like 40-ish, 45 seconds. Right, right. On a tip, like some of these ideas and on a tip for you and then being able to send them to somebody else too. I know you're having a tough day. Maybe this will help. You know, Uh, kind of thing. And it's just all free. It's just sign right. hey, I don't sell the list. I don't market. I don't have a training business. You know, right. Yeah. I'm a lawyer and a mediator. I have a, like right. my, my job and right. you know, I'm doing either consulting or trying to just get the word out that, God, this can be easier, everybody. It really Absolutely. Can. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I think this episode that we're creating is something that people are going to need to listen to more than once. I suggest that you people listening, listen to it again with your team. Maybe you can, uh, because there's just so much goodness here and so much wealth. All right. We are running out of time. Unfortunately, I have some rapid fire questions to know Hesha, the, the, the wonder woman. So <laughs> where did you go on your last vacation? Uh, Bahamas. We went swimming with the pigs. Oh, was it fun? Very fun. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite dessert? Uh, key lime pie. Okay. Or That's- a really, really good chocolate cake. I'll take both. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Uh, what is your favorite store? My favorite store? Oh, Home Goods. I like decorating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about your favorite type of music? Uh, you know, I like Irish music. Irish music. Okay. <laughs> like dance, like Irish dance or folk uh-huh. music. Okay. Yeah. I just like listening to it and it's a lot of sing-along stuff. So I like that. And I like folk because I like mm-hmm. to sing. Makes me happy oh, to sing. Fun. I, I sing in a choir too. Um, how do people describe you? Oh, you'd have to ask them. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping 
my name Hesha in Hebrew means abundant loving kindness. And I try, I fail often, but I try to live up to that. And the idea that you throw kindness around like confetti just has to make the world a better place. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yes. I love it. I love it. What a beautiful name. I'm so glad you shared the meaning of that. Um, were you, were you afraid of anything as a child? Oh, I had a very tough upbringing. I was afraid all the time. Uh, it was not a good family, not a good situation. I spent years in therapy, you know, okay. to gain all this wisdom and, and experience. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because it was, right. uh, it was, it was quite challenging. But you know, as my husband reminds me, the hottest furnace makes the best steel. Yes. I mean, clearly that upbringing, that hard and probably harsh upbringing has made you into a a phenomenal person, but you've taken those that hurt and used it to make something good. So that's beautiful. Do you collect anything at home? Uh, You know, it's funny you should ask that. I don't really collect, but I seem to have collected teapots and not intentionally. Just over time, I think I like the shape. And I was mm-hmm. looking literally the other day and I have like eight teapots. And oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, the, thank you so much. So Hesha's book is called Holding the Calm. So I think we can all use that because she's she says the secret to resolving conflict and diffusing t- tension, but it's really like a toolbox. And that's what we love. We love this these tools, these sentence starters, these questions that you can use to get everybody just to calm down, right? And let's get back to work and get stuff done. So Indeed. Every, everybody, this was a great episode and I look forward to catching you on the next one. Have a good day. Bye-bye.